Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. We're going to talk about pursuing holiness. Before we do that, because you're going to hear me say pursue holiness a bunch, obviously, since that's what we're talking about, I want to tell you, give you a definition, not a theological definition, just a regular average definition so you can grab a hold of it. The definition of pursuing holiness. Pursuing means to chase with an intent to catch. So we are trying to catch holiness. What is holiness? Holiness, according to the dictionary, is being set apart for the purposes of God to obtain Christ's likeness. And so we are intent on catching Christ's likeness. Everybody understand? Because at the end of the day, God called us to be like Jesus. And that should be our lifelong pursuit. Because none of us, as of yet, are like Jesus. Nor will we be perfect until we see that which is perfect according to the Word of God. But it doesn't mean that we don't have a responsibility to pursue, to chase with the intent to catch, that perfection, that holiness. Amen? And so this is what we're going to do. This is what I'm going to talk about for the next four weeks as of right now. And starting today in 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. So, let me explain to you, there's a, at the very beginning of verse 13, there's a word there. It says, therefore. So he says, listen, because of what I just said, I'm about to tell you some stuff. That's what the therefore is there for. And the therefore is therefore explaining verses 10 through 12, which says, as to this salvation. So he's talking about salvation. The prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to me made caref- would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in these things, which now have been announced to you through those who have preached the gospel by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look and so because we have salvation we should pursue holiness the the lesson that you're being taught today is titled why holiness and i actually have six points i can't do six points in the time that i have a lot of times i have a hard time doing one point in the time that i have and so what i've done is i've divided this this teaching this piece of the teaching, into two segments. You're going to get three points this week, three points next week. To explain why we are to pursue holiness. First, we are to pursue holiness because we have been saved. In fact, we can't pursue holiness until we receive salvation. I've seen a lot of people try to be good. Let me tell you, you can't be good enough. Without the Spirit of God living inside of you, without making a confession of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Good isn't good. All of us inha- are inherently not good. There is no good in us. No one, according to Romans chapter 3. 
No one that seeks after him. No one that does anything correct. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. These are, these are the truths of the word of God. That prior to salvation, according to Ephesians 2.1, we're dead in our sins and our trespasses. And so if we're dead in our trespasses, dead in our sins, means that we can't be provoked to do good. Because we don't know that there is good to be done. Amen? You guys ever heard the phrase, they don't know that they don't know? This is exactly what we're talking about. Before we have Jesus Christ, before we have the Spirit of God living inside of us, we don't even know that we don't know. And so because we have salvation, because we've been given salvation, because according to Colossians 2.13, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven all of our transgressions, we have the opportunity to pursue holiness. Not just the opportunity, but really we are qualified to do it. Because we're not qualified to do it or even know that we should until that point. Everybody with me? Yes? So you've been given a gift is what I'm trying to say. And you know what that gift is? A gift is salvation. Jesus Christ came, lived, humbled himself, denied himself, took up his cross, crawled upon it, died upon it, was buried, rose again, so that you might have the salvation that you have. It's a gift to anyone willing to declare Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. The Bible says you shall be saved. And once we're saved, because we've been given a gift, we have an obligation to that gift. You know what that obligation is? Pursue holiness. And so I want to talk to you about six reasons why holiness. Why do we pursue holiness? I'm only going to talk about three of them today. Number one, first let me read the text to you. 1 Peter 1, 13-16 says this, Therefore prepare your minds. Just so you know, the King James Version, or in the New King James Version, says gird, gird up your mind. Prepare your mind for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all of your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So, that's the text. Because we've been given salvation, therefore we should pursue holiness, point one, because we have a living hope. Because we've been given salvation, we should pursue holiness because we now, through that salvation, have a living hope. I should be able to just walk away from this right now and you guys be incredibly excited about that truth. That the hope that is in you isn't a dead hope. It's not a hope that doesn't produce fruit. It's not a hope that leaves you wanting. It is a living hope, an enduring hope, an eternal hope. And that hope is only possible in Christ Jesus because of the work of Christ Jesus. Amen? And so because we have a living hope, according to this verse 13, therefore prepare your minds for action, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. I want, to, want you to focus on one thing right now, and that is prepare your minds for action. Gird up your mind for action. This is an intentional act. If you are going to pursue holiness, you have to do so intentionally. Holiness is not going to come upon you by accident. 
You're not going to wake up one day having lived like hell your whole life and go, bam, I'm holy. Look at me, I'm all Christ-like. That was a B-A-M, just so you know, bam, right? I slur my words sometimes when I get talking too fast. I don't want anybody on the recording to go, what did he say? It's an intentional act. When Peter says, prepare your mind, or when the King James Version, New King James Version says, gird up the loins of your mind, it means to tighten a belt around, to tie a rope around, to bring up your loose tunic and gather it into your sash so that you don't get tripped up by it. This is what it means to gird up. So he's saying, listen, what you need to do first is make an intentional attempt at holiness. You need to make sure that whatever it is that you're doing, whatever it is that is loose around you, gets tightened up so that you can pursue holiness and not be tripped up in that pursuit. We have to make a decision to do this. This isn't something that's going to happen by accident. Peter metaphorically applies this idea to the mind of the believer which is the greatest battlefield that you have. There is no one ever in the history of man that did something without thinking about it first. It's impossible. What happens through your feet or your hands has to go through your brain first. Now, it might have been a split second, and you may not have had time to think about it like you should have, but something went through your mind before you decided to take an action. So he's telling, he said, you need to loosen up all the <coughs> craziness that's happening up in your mind. You need to tighten all that up. And it needs to be done intentionally. He tells us, loosen the ends of our lives by disciplining our thoughts. According to Romans 12, 2, which says, renew your mind by the word. Amen? How many of you guys spend time in your word every week renewing your mind? Because I don't know about you guys, but I got stuff in my head that I wish wasn't in my head. Because I hadn't always been saved. But you know what I have found? The more that I read this word, this is what happens. It, I don't know that it's true. I'm not talking, trying to talk scientifically to you. But I feel like I have a limited capacity in my brain. And inside of my brain is all the good and all the bad that I've ever done. All the stuff I wish I could forget. As I renew my mind with the Word, as that Word goes in with my limited capacity, something is going to fall out. And that something is something I shouldn't be doing, something that's keeping me from pursuing holiness. The more I concentrate on that which is holy, the more likely that which is unholy will come out of your mind. But it doesn't happen by accident. We have to read our word. We have to know what it says. Not only that, but we have to loosen up our, our loosen, tighten up the loose ends of our lives by living according to biblical principle. Matthew tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. How many of you guys have something you wish could be added to you? Seek first the kingdom of God. And at some point, that'll be added to you. But you know what you're going to find? You're going to find that the thing that you thought you wanted at the beginning of this journey isn't what you want at the end of the journey, which is the why you're going to get it. 
Because as you fill your mind with the Word of God, as you renew your mind with the Word of God, those things that you thought you wanted, you don't want anymore. You want what God wants for you and what God wants for the people around you. And those become the desires of your heart. And let me tell you, when you concentrate on those things, when you focus on the kingdom of God in that manner, all of those things, those new things, those things that you never even had an inkling that you wanted or you thought could bring you joy is what will be added to you. We are told to disentangle ourselves from the world's sinful hindrances. No good soldier entangles himself with the affairs of the world. Amen. When I was in the army, I had a go bag. Had a big duffel bag, had all my stuff in it. I didn't have an opportunity to when when it was time to go in the I was in the 82nd Airborne Division. And when you when you got a call out, you grabbed your stuff and you rolled out. You didn't allow yourself to be entangled with any emotion or relationships or thoughts of consequences. You didn't have time for any of that. You just moved because that's what you were told to do, because that's what you were prepared to do. You girded up your mind in expectation that that would happen. And let me tell you, this is what we have to do in holiness. We have to live in such a way that we aren't allowed to be entangled by things that would tell us it can't be done because it can be done because God placed His Holy Spirit inside of you so that it could be done. We see the girding up most significantly in Ephesians 6.14 where Paul's talking about preparing for battle. And let me tell you, the pursuit of holiness, the preparing for that, is an issue of life and death and has issues of life and death consequence. Because if we don't pursue holiness, if we don't achieve or reach for, chase after with the intent to catch holiness, there are true life and death consequences. Because, according to 1 Peter 5, 8, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. There's an enemy of your soul. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying? And let me tell you, that enemy will latch on to whatever you're allowing to hang loose off of you. When a dog goes after you, what's a dog grab? He grabs the hem of your jacket or the hem of your sleeve. The enemy will do the same thing. You need to tighten it up. We need to tighten it up. We need to gird it up. And as we do that, we fix our minds on our living hope. As we cinch up all this stuff that we shouldn't be thinking about, we start to think about those things we should be thinking about. And that's the fact that we have a living hope. Now, I know that the text that we're using here today, this 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 text, just says hope. But let me tell you, it means a living hope in context. If you'll read verse 1-3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead. You have a living hope in you. Or you should have a living hope in you. You should pursue righteousness because God has placed a hope for eternity in you. The difference between hope and a living hope is a hope just kind of hopes that it's going to happen. A living hope is confident that God has already made it happen. We need to understand that God gave us a living hope, which means that our hope should be fruitful. Our hope should produce. Our hope should, should have life in it. We don't have dead hope. 
I can't imagine what it must have been, what, what it would be to die and then there be nothing. This isn't the hope that we have. We have a hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that is living. Therefore telling us that we shall always be living. To be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. Amen? And so we should seek, pursue holiness because we have that living hope. Because that living hope lives inside of us. It is eternal. And made available to us in the second coming of Jesus. Let me tell you the difference between hope and faith. This may help some of you. We, def- we defined faith a couple weeks ago as the confident expectation of God. Right? That, that we have faith. We have a confident expectation that what God says I have, I have. Who God says He is, He is. It's confident expectation. Living hope is a confident expectation too. The difference between faith and hope is faith is faith in what has happened. Hope is is confident declaration in what is going to happen. I live my life in such a way, I pursue holiness or try to, to the best of my ability, because I know that I have absolute confidence that if I do that, I have a living hope because I have an absolute confidence in the God that says I have a living hope. That's a word for somebody that thinks, man, my life's horrible. Why am I dealing with this, that, or the other thing? Let me tell you, don't focus on that. Focus on the living hope that you have because that living hope doesn't start just at eternity. It started the day that you confessed your Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior because that's when you were saved. That's when your eternity with Him started. Stop worrying about the consequence of your life and start worrying about the position you have in Christ Jesus. And that living hope will grow in you and will build in you. And you'll move from a place of being distraught and confused and upside down to a place where you know that you know that you know that God holds you in His righteous right hand. Because He does. You know why? Because He says He does. And God's not a man that He should lie. Or the Son of Man that He should change His mind. Amen? Number two. We pursue holiness because we are obedient children. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in, in your ignorance. We pursue holiness because we are obedient children. Essentially, we pursue holiness because we're told to. Uh, Pastor Eric did an offertory up here a couple weeks ago, and he, it was pretty simple. He essentially said, so this is normally where I come up here and I talk to you guys about giving and I explain to you the blessings of giving, but can I tell you, maybe we should just give because God told us to. Is because God told us to enough reason to do a thing? It's the best reason to do a thing. Because God told us to. Because we declared that Jesus Christ is Lord, which means that we don't get an opinion, which means it doesn't matter what we think. It doesn't matter what's comfortable or convenient for us. He is Lord and therefore should be placed as headship in our life. 
This is where the church is messed up because we move from here to out there. And as long as we're in here and we got our church face on, we declare Jesus Christ as Lord. And then out there, we do we live just straight like hell. I read a quote several years ago that said something along the lines of, for six days we plant seed. And on the seventh day we go to church and pray for crop failure. Think about that. It's exactly what we do, so many of us. We live like we want to live, planting seeds of rebellion, seeds of fruitlessness, and then we come in here and ask God to bless or curse the seed that we put in the ground. We're supposed to be who God called us to be. Without, we're supposed to be, I was about to, maybe not be ugly. I'm passionate about this because I believe that the church suffers because we have lo- we've lost our obedience. Do you think God's a good father? Can I ask you that? Yes? If he's a good father, does the things that he requires of you, are they for your good or for your bad? They're for your good, right? You're not going to ask him for something he give you a snake or a rock, right? And so if we know that it's for our good that he tells us to do a thing, and he has told us to do a thing, then we should do a thing. We have to pursue holiness because we are obedient children. I'm going to read you some verses that you guys are very familiar with because I beat you to death with them all the time because I am so passionate about this subject. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's interesting, isn't it? If you love me. People are all, man, I love the Lord. But they're living all crazy. All sideways or cross-grained to the Word. You know what you're doing? You're either saying God's a liar or you don't care what He has to say. Verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. So you not only have a declaration that to love him is to obey him, but if you obey him, he will disclose himself to you. And I don't know about you, but there's some stuff I need to know that I don't know. Anybody else got something you'd like to know from God that you don't know yet? You know how you get that? Obey his commandments, and he will disclose himself to you. People come in my office from time to time for marital counseling. Not very often because I'm a horrible counselor. That's why we have Pastor Rick. I'm all, just do what the Word says. Stop being stupid, right? <laughs> Which isn't really good counseling. But I mean, it is, it's good advice, but it's probably not good counseling. So that's why we have Pastor Rick because he's all, well, let me walk you through the Word. And I'm all, Word says don't be stupid, right? <laughs> But anyway, so this is, this is how, if you come to me for counseling, and this is a plug for Pastor Rick, because I know this is going to decline my appointments for counseling. <laughs> I'm going to, first time we meet, I'm going to say, hey, so um, do this, 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 and this. I'm going to give you some, some objectives to accomplish. And then we'll set another date, and you'll come back. And then you'll come back. Uh, first question I'm going to ask you, did you do this, this, or this? And I tell you, nine out of ten people say no. 
And I tell them, get out of my office and go do that. Why would I waste time telling you to do more stuff when you hadn't done the first stuff I told you to do in the first place? You can't have something new disclosed to you if you're not willing to do the first thing that was disclosed to you. You can't get to Z if you don't go A through whatever's before Z. Why? I read through the alphabet that fast. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? But obedience is the key. Verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come and make our abode with him. God comes and lives in those that are obedient to his word. 24, he who does not love me does not keep my words. I think it doesn't get any simpler than that. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you don't love me, you won't keep my word. Why do we pursue holiness? Because God told us to. But that's not the only place in the scripture where it says these kinds of things. I know I'm beating this to death, but this is the biggest problem I see in a church today. We've not resolved to be obedient to God beyond our own convenience. James 1, 21 through 22 says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, this is the pursuit of holiness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. But prove yourselves doer of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. He says, Stop doing what you were doing and start being obedient. Stop listening if you're not doing. 1 John 2.17, I know I'm sounding harsh, but man, we, we could do better. 1 John 2.17, the world is passing away, and also it's lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. What's the will of God? The Word of God. The Word of God is the will of God. It's the revelation of God. And then finally, 1 John 2, 4 through 5. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. Now, you shouldn't call people liar. You, shouldn't, you can't judge them. Mm, I don't judge them. The Word judges them. I just make you aware of what the Word is. Let me tell you, if that offends you, it's because this Word is for you. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. By what? By obedience to the word. Mm. So let me tell you, so, so I, I have been harsh. I've, I've been very pointed about obedience. But the verse doesn't say be obedient. Verse 14 doesn't say be obedient. Do not be conformed to the former lusts. It says, as obedient what? Children. I, I love that God, the Holy Spirit, put this in there. Because you know what it shows? It shows that we, like children, have to be dependent. A child can't dress himself. A child can't feed himself. Can't bathe himself can't do anything by itself it has to be dependent and in our obedience we have to become dependent as children 
There is no chance of you putting away the former lust that you performed in your ignorance, which is the lust that you did before you understood the word, before you were given the truth. If you don't understand that you are to be dependent. Dependent on what? Dependent on the Spirit of God. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 18, 3, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. There's not enough want to in you to be holy. Did you hear me? I'm trying to set you free. There's not enough want to in you to be holy. And God recognized that. That's why he sent you the Holy Spirit. So that the Holy Spirit could convict you according to the word of sin so that you might be saved of righteousness so that you might pursue holiness and for the judgment to come so that when that time comes you'll be ready because I can't do it by myself I can't tell you how many times I was about to say a week I guess I'd say a day how many times a day the Holy Spirit kind of gives me the "Mm, I wouldn't do that you know why because the pursuit of holiness is intentional and it's constant If you let your flesh do what your flesh wants to do, it's going to do it. And it's a matter of time, a very short matter of time before you're upside down. But praise God. He sent his son Jesus to die for us. And as Jesus, upon ascension, sent his Holy Spirit to empower us. And so I want you to know that God loves you enough to send you everything that you need for holiness, for the pursuit of holiness. He sent you his son, he sent you his word, he sent you his spirit. So that you might be saved, know how to act upon being saved, and be provoked to holiness by the spirit of God. Don't try to fight this fight by yourself, you can't. It's an impossibility. But can I implore you, listen to the voice inside of you. Because the small voice inside of you, the Spirit of God living inside of you, isn't going to force you to do it. You still have to be intentional. You still have to go back to what we talked about first and gird up your mind. Tighten up the loose ends of all the stuff, which you do and know to do as you study the Word of God. You see how all this works together? And when we do this, we are capable of producing fruit and crucifying the flesh. When we rely on the spirit we are capable of producing fruit and crucifying the flesh let me let me prove that very bold statement to you galatians chapter 5 says this starting in verse 19 it talks about 19 20 21 it talks about these deeds of the flesh these things that we're supposed to put away the lust of the flesh that we did in our ignorance in verse 22 The writer of Galatians says, but the fruit of the Spirit, what happens when when you listen and abide in the Spirit of God is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And so when we submit to the Spirit of God that we've been given, we produce fruit. And what's crazy, it's not crazy, it's incredible. It says, against such things there is no law. You know why there's no law against such things? 
because there's no need of law when those things exist. You know why every law that is ever written exists? Because our love isn't right. Even down to the speed limit. Did you know if you loved the people around you enough that you considered the possibility that you might harm them if you drive too fast? They would have never had to post the first speed limit. On the far end of that spectrum, they'd never had to tell us to, kill, to not kill somebody. If our heart was right, we wouldn't even consider such a thing. So by the Spirit, we make, we make null and void the law. Because we're adhering to the law, which is the law of love in Christ Jesus. And in that, verse 24, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So with that, we are then capable of crucifying the flesh. Verse 24. I'm sorry, verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So, why do we do what we do? We pursue holiness first because we have a living hope. Secondly, because we are obedient children. Because we were told to be and we are dependent upon the Father Holiness is even possible. But there's a larger, more significant reason. And that's my number three. We pursue holiness because Christ is holy. I'm sorry, because God is holy. Verse 15 and 16 says, be, But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves, also in your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. The dominant, defining characteristic of God is holiness. Uh, that may mess some of you all up because immediately you go, well, the dominant characteristic of God is love. But let me tell you, holiness is dominant above all things because Holiness is absolute perfection. And so he is love, but his love is holy in that it is absolutely perfect. Because everything that God is, he is perfectly. Or he wouldn't be capable of being God. If he was imperfect in even the slightest little thing, then he couldn't be God. But because he is holy, because he is perfect, we should strive for perfection. Amen? But can I tell you to trust? Because perfection, man, seems like such a, a high, high goal to aspire towards. And it is. And it should be. So we should trust. Hebrews 12, I think it's 2. I'm sorry, 29. Hebrews 12, 29 says, for our God is a consuming fire. This is one of my favorite verses. I talk about it all the time. You know why it's one of my favorite verses? Because it brings me hope. If there's anything in you that shouldn't be in you, and God is a consuming fire, 
then the closer we get to his holiness, the more we press into him, we can count the fact that whatever is on us that shouldn't be on us, whatever is in us that shouldn't be in us, will be burnt off of us. This is the, this is the issue, the point of resting in God and pursuing God. Because as I pursue him, as I press into him, whatever shouldn't be there is taken off. It's like dross in the purifying process. You guys ever see silver? purified they get it to the boiling point or the melting point and this black sludge comes across the top of it and they scoop it off and they just throw it away you know what that is that's stuff that's not silver and the all-consuming fire of god does the same thing to us the more we subject ourselves to him the more we pursue him the more we chase after him the more we press into him the more we can assure that his purifying fire his all-consuming fire will remove the dross from us and I think that's beautiful because it means I don't have to work as much as I have to walk. Some of you guys have this works-based faith. I'm not talking about works-based faith today. I'm talking about a faith that walks towards the presence of God in expectation that the holy God will make you holy if you'll just press into him and chase after him. Amen? So there's one last truth that I want to tell you. If He is holy, we are called to be holy. We are called to be Christ-like. 1 John 14.9 declares, Who has seen me has seen the Father. So we pursue Christ-likeness because we're pursuing godliness. And Christ is God. He's the revealed God to us. People say, what does God look like? Read your Bible. What does it say about Jesus? That's what God looks like. And because He is the revelation of God, we are to be holy as God is holy. We must walk as Christ walked. 1 John 2.6 says, The one who says he abides in Him ought himself to walk in the same manner as He walked. Those who abide in Him receive from the vine. What does abiding mean? Abiding means living in, resting in. It says abide in the vine in the book of John. Which means that you're attached to the vine. So not only is it, a, is it saying you should pursue holiness because God is holy, it is saying you are holy because God is holy. Because you're receiving from Him that which He is because you are attached to Him, because you rest in Him. Our responsibility above all things is to rest in Him. Let the nutrients, as it were, of who He is transfer into who we are. It's an issue of trust, guys. Trust that God made us holy in Christ Jesus. And although He expects us to pursue holiness, a, a greater level of Christ-likeness through our whole life, our primary responsibility is to abide. Abide in Him. Abide in His Word. Abide in His Spirit. As children who are dependent. As a leaf, as a branch is dependent on the vine. This is what I want for, this is what I want for you. This is what I believe God wants for you. Can you stop beating yourself up about, man, I'm not good enough? And just rest in the fact that God, if you'll pursue Him if you'll chase after Him, if you'll rest in Him, 
has already made you good enough and will continue to do a work in you all the days of your life until the fruition of your living hope comes to pass, which we know happens when Christ Jesus returns. Amen.